so uh, we may have a, a real Christmas story to tell here before this is all over. So uh, that'll be their number two. We have a bunch of uh, um, ladies that are expecting right now, which is really cool. Uh, you're probably thinking, I'm just glad it's not me, right? Right, ladies? But I was in the, uh, I was in the coffee shop uh, last week, and I, was, uh, just, I just really had this strong impression from God that uh, God was just going to give us just a ton of pregnant women. That was just my vision. I, I, don't, I can't explain it. I, you know, so if, if you're a candidate, uh, get busy. Um, you know, I, I love children. Children are so much fun. Have you ever been asked those questions by kids and you said to yourself, I really just wish he would not have answered the, asked this question or answered this question? And you kind of go through those things and you think, you know, their theology questions far exceed our theology, you know, answers, Right? So last week, uh, Mason Johnson, Johnson was uh, homesick uh, from, uh, from church, and he was, uh, he asked his mom, can, I live, can we live stream Sunday school? And so his dad got back to me and said, uh, you know, I guess we're going to need more cameras here. I want to pull this up because this is just too cute. Um, can, we, can we start live streaming Sunday school? I'm thinking, oh, great. Now we're going to live stream Sunday school in addition to everything else. And so uh, as I was uh, laughing at it, he sent me a, a video. And it was a video of Mason. He watched, he went ahead and watched the service live stream, as, you know, many people do. You know, we have hundreds of people that watch it uh, uh, on Sunday, and, and they sleep in and think they're really, you know, just really cool. And we don't know who you are, but we have, like, this system where we can watch through your camera... So the only request is please stay dressed when you do this thing because it's really been embarrassing and, and all the footage we've had to destroy. Um, but anyway, so um, I'm going to show you the video, and I want to just read you the text here. Sorry, I, had it, I thought I had it set up here. Um, so we need to order two cams for the five-year-old class. Uh, yeah, and I don't think Mason totally resonated with your message today. And then Craig got back to me, well, I thought it was good anyway. Um, I have to admit, uh, it happened to me before. So we're going to see Mason's uh, response. It's kind of man on the street, boy on the street, as his dad asked him, how did you like the message today? So let's go ahead and watch the screen. What did Pastor Phil talk about? Um, uh. Um. <laughs> well, there you go. So apparently, that was immediately after watching my message, and that's how much retention I was able to plant in the life of that young boy. Well, hopefully, um, it'll, uh, you know, it'll stick with you a little bit longer. Uh, I do have to admit, sometimes people ask me on Tuesday or Wednesday, what did you preach on? And I have to think for a minute. So, uh, but maybe the impression is good today. Today, I want to talk to you on a subject where the title sounds really, really strong, but I think you're going to understand how different this really is when we really get into it. The, the title is Plunder Hell. And I've often thought how important it is for us to understand our role as believers, that our job is really to rescue people. Our job as a church is to minister to people. 
Our job is to tell people about Jesus and how Jesus is the answer for uh, all of life's situations. It doesn't mean life immediately becomes easy or problems automatically go away. What it means is you have strength and you have power in the middle of your problems and you have hope in Jesus Christ. Here's a couple of thoughts as you begin to think about life's experiences. Anybody here ever had one of those times where Someone just absolutely drove you crazy. Would you raise your hand? Hopefully they're not sitting next to you. How about when you got angry and you didn't know how to respond? Any, any of those kind of cases? You know, and you, maybe you res, responded wrongly, incorrectly. That happened to you? Just raise your hand. Let's just see. I want to just get a little honesty here before we start moving. Well, here's how you plunder hell. The first way that you really, really are able to do this is when you reverse the strategy of the enemy. You see, what the enemy wants you to do is they want you to react. They want you to respond in a negative way. The enemy wants you to, to somehow get angry and get offended and get hurt and all of those things that go along with being human. And when we do that, what we do is we pull ourselves out of that, that power and that influence of Jesus Christ, and we come under that other influence that really just starts to, to, to bring us down and to bring negativity into our life. And so when you look your adversity and your difficulty and your problem and your challenges in the faith and you say, face and you say, you know what, you're not going to get me. I'm not going to allow you to bring me down, discourage me, defeat me. The enemy loses his grip. He loses his power over you. Also, when you refuse to quit. You know, sometimes you just get weary in doing good. In fact, the Bible even says don't become weary in doing good. Sometimes you look at it and you say it doesn't appear to be doing any good. I don't see any change or any progress going on in my life. Persevere. Do not quit in the middle of those challenges that you find yourself in. You may be closer, really, to the goal than you ever thought. You may be closer to winning the battle than you ever imagined. It may be just that next one inch that's going to make a difference. We've all seen those races where the guy is out in, in the front and he's leading and he looks back to see where they are and they're way back there, but it's enough to lose stride and he's passed. And I often look at that and I think about life is like that. Sometimes what we do is we think we're doing okay and then we get worried about what's behind us, our past, our challenges, our difficulty. And when we do, we lose stride and we take our eye off of Jesus Christ and we end up not successfully accomplishing what we, have, we had planned or not winning the race or winning the battle, but really just falling just behind. And we think to ourselves as we reflect, if I had just focused a little bit longer, if I had just stayed in the race a little bit longer, if I would have just stuck to the course, I could have won that battle. I could have been victorious. And I just want to encourage you, don't quit. One of the great things that Scripture teaches us is this idea of perseverance, of don't grow weary, don't give up, stick to the fight. Also, do the unexpected. You know, when you do the unexpected, people don't know how to react. It wasn't too long ago that I was at the store and I bought something and I realized that they hadn't charged me for something. And I went back in and I said, you know, you, you haven't charged me for this. And, uh, and, and I, I need to be charged for this. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. 
Um, you know, it's, uh, it's already all the, everything's already done. And I, and I looked at the cashier and I said, do you own the store? <laughs> well, no. I said, then you really don't have the authority to give stuff away. Now, you, there's a lot of different ways you could have handled that. You could have said, oh, well, they overcharged me anyway and never gone back in. You could have gone in, and when they said that, said, you know, you're probably right. They've been, you know, it, it's too much of a hassle. I'm just going to go ahead and take it and go home. Or you could have used it as an opportunity to do the unexpected and demonstrate how God operates in the kingdom. You see, God never takes a shortcut to get you to where you need to be. That's why sometimes the road seems long and hard, and you want to give up. But you have to do the unexpected in order to see the hand of God working in your life. You've got you've to stick to everything you've got, and you've got to say, I'm going to do the unexpected. And when you do, you have an opportunity, because then I said, let me tell you why I brought this back. Let me tell you why I want you to charge me for it, even if it is a hassle. It is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, if I don't take that opportunity, I lose an opportunity. Opportunities tend to stack themselves up in line. When you seize an opportunity, it's amazing how many times another opportunity comes along the way. It may not be immediate, but God will begin to take and put those things together. You see, God honors those who honor him. And when you honor God, God has an amazing ability of honoring you. You know, I was, uh, I was getting just a little bit emotional as I sat in here and I just looked around and I realized a year ago today, we were still in the theaters. We weren't in this building. That next Sunday will be our one-year anniversary in this building. I mean, think about that. I mean, what God has done and how God has honored where we've been. It won't be till February that we'll be three years old as a church, and God has blessed us with this. God has just given and given and given, and I really believe it's because we have honored him in our prayer. We have honored him in our life. We've honored him in our giving. We've honored him in our time, and all of those things are building up, building up, building up, and God says, let me just show you, and God just keeps blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing, and, and we all know it's not about us. If you ever think it's about you, then you need, to check, you need to check yourself in to the God tent and say, God, talk to me for a minute, because this is not normal what God is doing. You know, this past uh, couple of weeks, we've been in dialogue with a, a, a new influence plant in Vienna and another one in New York. And these sites are, are just amazing how God is using them for the kingdom. And I think, how does that happen? And I think about our school of ministry, and I never grow weary of talking about the good stuff God is doing. And this past week, as we, as we shared... Uh, testimony. And, and, you know, we invite everyone into our school of ministry. So we don't have the, the you know, the, the um, interview process to kind of see where everybody is. We say, hey, come and listen and hear what God is doing. And in that testimony time this last week, someone was led to faith in Christ in our school of ministry. I mean, think about that. Three weeks ago, someone was led to Christ in our school of ministry. 
When people, when we had our class on prayer and healing, we would invite people who were sick to come to our prayer and healing class. We said, we've got 100 people that are ready to pray for you. Show up. We had a guy from the neighborhood show up so we could pray for him. You see, we believe in taking this theology, this teaching we get, and putting it into the practical side of things so that people really see what God is up to. You see, I believe hell is plundered when you override hate. You just don't let yourself go there. You say, no, God, you are more powerful. I'm going to, instead of hate, I'm going to put love. I believe hell is plundered when you override anger. Oh, it's easy to get angry, isn't it? It's easy to get upset, easy to get mad. But when you override it, hell is plundered. How about revenge? You ever wanted to get even? I love that line, I don't get mad, I just get even. Right? And sometimes there's just a human side of us that wants to get even. You know, you did this to me, I'm going to do this to you. But see, the nature of Jesus and the, and the promise of God is that we can override revenge. How about bitterness? You know, when bitterness starts getting deep in our life, you know, bitterness is just anger on steroids. It's just allowing anger to get deeper and deeper and deeper in you. And then it, the Bible talks about it in the Hebrews, a root of bitterness. Now just imagine that a root begins to go down into the soil and finally it gets in so deep you can't pull it out. And it says, beware lest a root of bitterness spring up in you and by it many are defiled. You see, nobody ever gets bitter alone. People who are bitter and angry, they never are content just to sit at home and be bitter. They got to tell you about their bitterness. They got to tell you about their anger. And what I want to encourage you to do when you're in that situation, you know, try to minister there. Try to help them understand that you can plunder hell. You can overcome this. This is, don't let it overcome you. Let Jesus Christ be powerful in you. Let him be the overcomer in you. Now I want to take you in the Bible to a story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite ones. And I love some of the names of the Old Testament. You know, as you begin to study the Old Testament, you look at some of these names, and some of you expectant mothers are looking for names for your children. Uh, we have another one for you today. I've suggested in the past uh, Isaiah's son, Malaher Shalal Hashbash, and yet to date we have not yet had one child named by that. Uh, but we're going to give you another one today, and, and maybe you can uh, kind of consider this one. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now David said, this is King David, now, let me set up the story a little bit. David has now come into power. He is now the second king in the nation of Israel. The first king, King Saul, has died. His son has died. And as is typical in kingdoms, whenever you've got heirs to the throne and you're the new king, what you want to do is get rid of all the heirs to the throne lest they bring a rebellion and they overtake your kingdom. So here's what David says. Now David said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? Now if it stopped there, you'd have that music that would come in on those movies. You know, that music, that, uh-oh, you know, that, that kind of tragic kind of movie. You know, we're going to go looking for the descendants of Saul. But look how David proves himself to be a man after God's own heart. He says, that I may show him kindness. That's unprecedented in, in monarchies. I want to show kindness to the heir apparent to the throne where I sit as king. But then he says, I want to do it for Jonathan's sake. You see, way back 
in the story of David. Jonathan, Saul's son, had made a covenant with David. He'd made an agreement. He'd made a promise with him. And it was a promise of honor. And what David was doing as he reflected on life, he was saying, I want to honor the covenant I made with Jonathan's. I want to honor his relatives. I want to honor and bless however I can. You see, when you are a person after God's own heart, what you do is you look for ways to show kindness, even to those who do not deserve it, even to those who are potentially or are in reality are an enemy of you. In verse 2, there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And then the king said, Is there not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Notice David distinguished between his kindness and the kindness of God. You see, in situations, you may not feel any kindness because you're operating out of human kindness. And that can run out pretty quick, amen? But you see, he says, can I show the kindness of God? Can I show you what God is like? And in this situation, David is modeling for us the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. And look what it says. He says, is there not someone still in the house of Saul, who I may show the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now let me back up the story here, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. When news came to the royal household that King Saul was dead and Jonathan was dead, the nurse took the young boy, Jonathan's son, and began to leave and flee because they knew what was next. You have to get rid of all the monarchy, the potential monarchy that would come and be heir apparent. As she was running, something happened. We don't know. The scripture doesn't specifically say what happened, whether a horse or a chariot or something, but somehow the little boy's legs were crushed and he was unable to walk from the time he was four years old on. So now the heir apparent is dependent completely on his nurse at that particular time, and they go into hiding. So the king said, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Malcher. Now what's interesting about this, his name means slave or sold. We can only assume that somehow he was a slave in the kingdom. And here is the heir apparent to the king living in the house of a slave. Living in hiding, living in bondage, the son of Emiel in Lodibar. And Lodibar means desert or no pasture. It means some of those places that are out east. You know what I'm talking about? Some of the places that go out into the desert, those little towns where nine people live. And nobody knows who's out there. And out there, there is hiding those heir apparents. I promise you, in every small town in America, there are heir apparents that are hiding. In every small town all across the world, there are heir apparents hiding in fear, crippled, not knowing what to do, because you see, there are heir apparents to Jesus Christ. There are people who want to know him, people who don't know that they can rise back up, people who don't know the king is not looking to give them uh, 
a hard time or difficulty, the king is looking to bless them and bring them to his table and put a robe on their feet and a ring ring on their finger and, and shoes on their feet that they might understand what it means to walk in the light of the king. Not knowing that we are all around us surrounded by people who are heir apparent to the throne of God. And it says here, then King David sent him out to the house of Malchair and the son of Emiel from Lodipar. You know, it's a great reminder that in every situation, only the king can deliver us. King Jesus. Only King Jesus can deliver us. Now when Mephibosheth, there's the name, ladies. What do you think, John? You like it? Emily? You in? It means shameful. Not so, not so exciting now, is it? Now imagine this. This is your life. You're crippled. You're living in the desert. You're living in Barstow. Does that help? That help make all this right now? If you're from Barstow, I, my apologies. But no wonder you're living here now. Um, but you're living in that place. You really have no hope. You're crippled. You're dependent your whole life. You're living in the house of a slave, and your name means shameful. You see, whether your name means shameful or not, if you're feeling shamed, you can't really thrive. If you've lost your identity, if you've lost your sense of purpose, if you've lost your sense of meaning, how do you ever really thrive in life? I think about all the children that grow up feeling shamed, feeling disregarded, feeling that life is without hope. You know, one of the things that's so exciting about our children's ministry here is that there are people who love children like that. People bring kids in here, grandparents bring kids in here. We don't know what's going on in their heart. But when you speak life into them, when you speak love into them, when you say, no, you are You are uh, loved by God. You are important to God. Now look what Mephibosheth does. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face. I think he probably expected the king was going to take his life. The king was going to give him orders to get him out of here now, and it was all just a ruse. It was all just a plan to get the last heir apparent to the throne and take care of them so there would be no rebellion, there would be no rising up. And he said, Mephibosheth, here's your servant. He was heir apparent. Look at the humility, the humility that was walking through his life. So David said to him, do not fear. What was it about David when he looked into Mephibosheth? Was it the way he laid his face down before the king? Was his body trembling? Did his compassion kick in when he saw this poorly clad, unshaven, dirty, crippled man who lay trembling at his feet? What was it? What was it that in David? David said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. That's what God says to you. Don't fear. I will surely show you kindness. 
But what about this? I will surely show you kindness. But what about my, I will surely show you kindness. For Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore. You know, restoration is a divine act. You know what restore means? It means to put it back where it was. It means to bring it back to usefulness. It was used in the New Testament of mending a fishing net so that it could be used to fish again. It was used of resetting a bone so you could walk again. And the Bible says if you see someone who is overtaken in the fall, in a fall, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Look into yourself lest you also be tempted. You see, restoration is divine act. He says, I'm going to restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. In other words, I'm going to give you the inheritance that you deserved. Now think about that. The kingdom of Saul was small compared to the kingdom of David, but what he did was he took a major piece and he said, it's now yours. It's now yours. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. So he's taking him from inheritance to sonship now. He says, I want you to be a son. I want you to be a son. He would say to you, I want you to be a son and a daughter. I want you to understand your inheritance, that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I want you to sit at my table continually. I want you to always be fed. And he bowed himself and he said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog? Complete loss of identity in this man. That's how he saw himself. I'm just a dead dog. I'm not good for anything. How can you do this? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all to his house. He made an official declaration. It's the same declaration that God makes over you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, God makes a declaration over you, and he says, you are now my son, you are now my daughter. You are now an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are now blessed above all. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to sit at my table. And the king called Ziba and he said, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul to his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. I want you to take your 35 sons and daughters and there will be dispatched to work the fields because Mephibosheth is now going to sit at my table. You know what God does? When you come to faith in Christ, he dispatches his angels. He dispatches servants. He dispatches people. He says, I'm going to take care of you. All you have to do is receive it. Imagine how different this story would be if Ziba would have said, not coming in in humility, but coming in, you don't deserve to be king. I'm the king. See how different it is? It feels different, doesn't it? It sounds different. The outcome is different. But Mephibosheth, your master's son shall eat bread at my table always. You're always going to be fed. You're always going to be taken care of. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and then Ziba said to the king, according to all my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Every day a servant would come and pick up Mephibosheth. He'd been washed, he'd been clothed in the raiment of the king. He would carry him and he would set him at the table. That servant would carefully take those two crippled legs and he would push them under the table. When you walked in, 
You didn't see Mephibosheth's crippled legs. You saw his position at the king's table. You see, when you come to God, you may be crippled, you may be broken, you may be damaged, you may feel like a dead dog, but I want you to know God takes all of those things and he puts them under his table. They're not to be seen, they're not to be discussed. God takes everything in our past and he puts us behind us. God takes our sins, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. Let me ask you this question. Haven't you been in the desert long enough? Haven't you lived the life of Meshavosheth long enough? You see, you, you belong to the king's table. Just like all those Arab parents in those little towns out all across America, they're, they have an inheritance they haven't realized yet. You're his problem was hidden under the king's table, and God wants to hide all of our problems under his table. You see, he wanted him to understand his position was more important than his condition. I want you to listen to that. Write that down. His position in the kingdom was more important than his condition. God never looks at your condition. He looks at your position. He sees you as a son and a daughter of the almighty God. He doesn't see the things that you see the way you see them. He doesn't see all the problems and all the setbacks and all the weaknesses and all the failures. He doesn't look at those things. The Bible says he takes all of our sins and he puts them behind his back. And everywhere he turns, he, he can't see our issues, our problems. I believe there's some steps to freedom. I want to give them to you now. There's five of them here I want, to, want you to jot down. The first one is this. You have to renounce counterfeit control in your life. There are things that control you. They don't have any right to control you. They're not, they're not legitimate control areas. They could be something someone said to you a long time ago, and it's still spinning in your head. That's counterfeit control. Give it up. It could be the way you see yourself. When you look in the mirror or when you think about your life, you don't feel like you've done anything with your life. I want you to renounce counterfeit control. It doesn't belong in your life. It's maybe the way you were raised or, or maybe the failure or success you have, have had in your business life. It's counterfeit control. That's your condition, not your position. Secondly, acknowledge self-deception. You see, it's easy to be deceived, isn't it? It's easy to think something is true when it's not true, and then you live out your life as though that's true. It's kind of like walking into a room and you, you have that first impression that somebody doesn't like you. And you live the rest of your life with that concept. And it's, there's nothing could be further from the truth. It could be that they're shy. It could be they're going through a tragic time. But that first impression marked them in your mind. And you've lived out your life in self-deception. It could be your concept of how you think God sees you. And God doesn't see you like that at all. God sees you as a son and a daughter. He sees you as one whom he loves. And you've lived in self-deception. Another step to freedom is you have to forgive others in order to overcome bitterness. You see, forgiveness is not for their sake, it's for your sake. You have to release something in order to experience life. As long as you hold on to it, you may think you're punishing them, but you're not. You're only punishing you. And as that eats away at your heart, you can't ever have the freedom that God wants you to have. 
And then you have to ask, number four, ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You say, God, I can't do this. Would you fill me? Would you control me? Would you guide me? And then the fifth one is thank God for his work in you and his work in others. That second part is really important. Because sometimes you see God working in somebody else and you get jealous. God, why are you doing that in their life and not in my life? Why'd you heal them? Don't heal me. Why'd you bless them with a great job and didn't bless me with a great job? Why are their children loving Jesus and mine aren't? Why, 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 why? You just start thanking God. God, I want to thank you. You see, when you begin to thank God in all circumstances, guess what? The favor of God comes. The presence of God comes. And here's what you discover. You discover the king's forgiveness. Bring Ziba. Ziba, come in here. Go get Mephibosheth. Sit him at my table. Forgiveness. You experience the king's fortune. The king's fortune. Hey, everything that God has is at your disposal. You just have to ask. Ask. You discover the king's fellowship. You're now seated at a different table. You're now seated at a table where you have sons and daughters and brothers and uncles and aunts. You have everybody at your table. I mean, look around for a moment. Here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is we're going to spend eternity with one another. The bad news is some people in here, you think, I don't know if I like him. Hey, guess what? God will make all things new. And you also experience God's family. God's family. What could be more important than just being in family? Just being together like that. We spent uh, this last couple of days at Thanksgiving, we spent down in San Diego with our son and our grandsons. And um, the boys are, you know, they're wrestling age. You know, they like to get down and, and, uh, and wrestle. And, and, uh, and I'm able to take them both <laughs> with my skill, my training. I'm able to get the, the best of them. And, and so I get them down and I have all kinds of moves. I, I get them in the clover leaf. You know, I squeeze their guts out until they cry. It, and they love it for some reason. And then I give them what I call the treatment. And, uh, and then I was getting ready to leave and, and Cruz looked at me and says, Papa, give me the treatment one more time. <laughs> give me the treatment. I said, well, let me do that. Have you ever had the Indian rope burn? No, what's that? I gave him the Indian rope burn, you know. Oh, Papa, now can I have the treatment? All right, we'll give you the treatment. You see, that's family. Doesn't make sense sometimes to people outside the family. Now you're thinking, you know, I've got to report you. <laughs> but see, in the family, it makes sense. When people look outside from in, into, into the, the, the family of David, it didn't make sense. When people look from the outside into the family of God, it may not make sense, but we understand something prevails above all things because you know what? Love never fails. I want you to stand with me. I want, you to, I want us to, to, to just share this declaration of identity that I wrote, and I want us just to say it together. I want you to really realize that God is more interested in your position than your condition. Let's look at this. You repeat after me. I am in the process... Of becoming whom God created me to be. My God-given potential and identity is refined 
and revealed through the trials and the challenges of life. I will not allow the enemy to steal my joy. I was created by God as an image bearer. I have a royal bloodline that enables me to stand in the face of adversity. Today, I declare that I am a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare for this worship and as we prepare just to allow your spirit to touch our hearts right now, God, we would ask, Father, that you would uh, make our identity come just crystal clear, Father, that you would take us right now, God, and let us, uh, if, if we've looked at ourselves like Mephibosheth did when he was in isolation and in the desert and apart from the favor of the Father, God, change our thinking change our understanding give us father uh the ability to see you for who you are and for you to understand that we are loved by you god we come into this family by faith god and some need to come in by faith today and just say i want to receive jesus christ i want to believe on the lord jesus christ so as to be healed my condition has been set has given me setbacks and i i don't know where to go with that god i i just Every time I, I try to get freedom, God, I go back into old tapes and old thinking and old way of reasoning. God, deliver me from that and restore in me, God, and give me faith and joy and power right now. God, let me sit at your table. If you need to receive Christ, you can do that by faith in a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me now. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead to build a bridge, to give me eternal life, to give me the gift of salvation, and I receive it now. I believe you rose from the dead to give me life and life eternal. I receive that life in Jesus' name. If that was your prayer, then just thank him right now in your own heart for the saving of your soul. I venture to say that most people are still living, even though they're a son of the king, they're still living in isolation. They're still living in Lodabar, in that place where it's desert and where there doesn't seem to be hope and promise. Would you let the king pick you up now? Would you allow him to sit you at his table? Would you allow him to take those things that have crippled you in the past and just place them under his table so that everyone just looks into your face and sees all the purpose and the, pro the promises of God and you enjoy the meal and you enjoy the family and you enjoy the fellowship of Jesus if that's your need and that's where you are all you have to do is just say God restore unto me the joy of being in the family Fill me, Spirit of God, with your power that I might live in the fullness of the joy of God. Maybe you'd like to come to this prayer altar today and pray with someone. I'm just going to ask you to come if you'd like to do that right now. If your decision today was to receive Christ, I'm just going to ask you to come right now. Just come. Just come. There will be those that will 
be here to help help you and pray with you and encourage you in any way they can. But God loves it when we just move from where we are to the table. When we just let him love us and bless us. Or we just allow him to be our God and to be our king, to be our master. Would you like to come and just be encouraged by someone? Would you like to just pray with someone? We invite you to come right now. As the band plays.